Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. I'm joined today by Stu Oakley and Lottie Jeffs, authors of the book The Queer Parent, which is an essential guide to LGBTQ parenting, answering pretty much every question you might have. And they also host the podcast From Gay to Z. Stu and his husband John have three children and Lottie and her wife Jenny have one child. And in the book, they share their own journeys to parenthood, as well as talking to lots of other people too. Lottie and Stu, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Hi, Alison. Lottie, you took a big slurp of tea just as I was saying that. So <laughs> I did. It's coffee, actually. It's quite oh. early and it's been quite a morning. I've had to deal with two frogs two already. Two frogs? Yeah. Oh, my God. We've got cats and um, I don't know, they just are bringing me presents. Oh. And my wife is actually genuinely phobic of frogs, like not just like a bit freaked out by them, like she has an actual phobia. Oh my um, and so yeah I just had to get rid of these two screeching frogs screeching <laughs> they were screeching as well which was like so screeching great. I didn't know frogs screeched that sounds like something out of a horror film I didn't know frogs screeched oh my goodness hence the need at this yeah wow. that's not what you need on a Monday morning I mean it's one thing dealing with like feral children like Stu and I were just talking about our children going a bit mad but um <laughs> frogs you don't need that no anyway it's nice to be oh. here. I think I'd rather deal with I think I'd rather deal with frogs than feral children, to be honest. Though. I feel like it might be more manageable. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um well, thank you for joining me. Frogs and all. Thank you, thank you. Um I want to chat about your book, The Queer Parents. Um what I love about this is how you talk about your own experiences and how it instantly makes it really readable and really relatable for so many people. Um, Do you want to start off by talking us through a little bit about your own journeys to parenthood? Yeah, I feel like Stu and I are so used to um, doing this now. Maybe we should do each other's journeys. (laughs) Let's do it. Oh my God, it's like a test. It's like like, like Mr and Mrs. Stu and John always knew they wanted to have children. Stu always knew he wanted to have kids, even from the age of like five. And he just assumed he would. He was just so sort Mm -hmm. of like fabulously himself and gay from like day dot that he was just like, yeah, I'm going to have a kid. Don't know how, don't know when, but it's going to happen. Then he met John, who was a bit older. And it was one of their early conversations, the fact that they both wanted to have children. Neither of them particularly felt the need to biologically 
reproduce. They just kind of felt like it would be better for them as a family to both be equal in the sense of like their child not sharing the genes with one parent as opposed to the other. So for them, adoption felt like the most equitable um, route to parenthood and it just felt totally right for them. So they began looking uh, into the whole idea of adoption. They signed up to... um, this is where I'm going to get shaky on the details. Yeah, yeah maybe Stu is... should take over now. Well you can take over now, Stu. <laughs> what happened next, Stu? Yeah. What happened next? Well, we went to an adoption agency um, and the the process was fairly, and I talk about this in the book, was fairly simple, actually. I always think compared to what I think people's preconceived ideas of adoption are, Um you know, not simple as in like we just went in and walked out with a child, but <laughs> it, it was it was simpler than I thought in the sense that, yeah, there was paperwork and we had to have a lot of training and we had to have social workers come around and meet with us and almost uh, kind of equate it to almost like therapy. So me and my husband, John, would sit down and go over, like, what type of children do we feel we could have? What type of parents do we think we would be? What things in our past are going to relate to our parenting skills what are the strengths going to be what our weaknesses going to be how we're going to work together um and then we went through the process after our approval panels I mean I am speeding through this I mean I could talk for an hour I suppose on the process um we went through the panels we got matched with our children and yeah and then we adopted our son and daughter in 2018 at the time, they were, my daughter was two and a half and my son was seven months. And then they came home. And are they siblings? Yes, they are. They're siblings. And then a year and a half later, we got a call to say that another sibling had been born. And um, would we consider adopting? And immediately, he felt part of our family already without even trying to make any kind of decisions um it just felt like well this is what we're doing um I've said before I felt it was like uh an unplanned but very wanted pregnancy if I was to kind of akin it to to that kind of process um and then he came home in December 2019 and yeah that's our that's in a nutshell that's our family in a very in a very tight nutshell brilliant brilliant Lottie how about you do you want uh do you want Stu to have a go Stu you can kick me off go on oh my word okay so Lottie and her oh god see Lottie's obviously read the book (laughs) um (laughs) no I have um Lottie and her wife, Jenny, uh, well, actually, Lot, I think you need to do it. I find it really weird. I can't. <laughs> this is like revealing like the huge gaps in Stu's knowledge of when I talk, he just like starts thinking about he, like what he's having for his tea. Yeah, he glazes over and starts making yeah. a shopping list for when he's going to Sainsbury's. Exactly. He's like, oh, who are you again? I would just make it seem really simple. I'd be like... Oh, okay, fine. Um, so, yeah, Jenny and I um, started having conversations about children, like, a few years into our relationship. I think I was slightly on a further along page than she was, which I think is maybe for a number of reasons, but maybe partly because... I'd spent a lot longer being out as queer than she had. Um, and I was a lot more kind of 
I think she'd agree if I was to say I, I was a lot more comfortable in my sexuality and my identity. And so I had almost, as Stu had, like, been thinking about having kids within the framework of being queer from for quite a long time, whereas she was you know, coming at it from like a slightly different perspective, having had relationships with um, both genders and not being quite sure if she was gay or bi or straight or whatever. So I think when I started talking about children with her, she was a bit like, well, hang on a second. I'm just still like kind of coming to terms with who I am, let alone how I'll be able to sort of think about having kids. Mm. Anyway, fast forward a few years and uh, we got married and then we both agreed that it was it was the time um to to start trying we um asked originally um a few of our very handsome uh, gay male friends to uh be donors well actually funnily enough we didn't ask them. she didn't know me then i would just like to I'd i know i was like... gonna say i didn't even know <laughs> Stu then well obviously i would have been after his sperm you would have um, been top of the list <laughs> He would have been. Uh, But I say we asked them. Funnily enough, they offered. We didn't ask them. We sort of just made it known that we were, like, thinking about having children and we were exploring our options. Three different men uh, offered to donate their sperm for our endeavours. But with each of those men, it didn't work out for different reasons. And mainly they kind of realised it wasn't going to be right for them. So they, uh, on reflection, sometimes getting quite far into the process, such as, you know, having motility tests, realised that what we were asking for, which was kind of literally a a donation and, uh, you know, like a bit of a relationship with the kid as a kind of like friendly uncle figure, but definitely not involved in day-to-day parenting, they felt that that wasn't something that they would be comfortable with. They would either want to do it and be like really involved or not do it at all. So thank goodness, you know, because we wouldn't have wanted to get into a, a parent co-parenting arrangement with someone who we didn't feel like we were completely aligned with. So it made us realise as well that actually the best route for us was um, to use an anonymous donor, which is what we did. And Jenny did IUI which is um, intrauterine insemination, which is just like going into a clinic when you're ovulating and having the sperm medically inserted into the right place. And it worked first time. And she fell pregnant and we now have a five-year-old. Just for anyone listening that's like, oh, it's all right for some, that sounds so easy. Fast forward then three years and I started trying and it did not work first time and it did not work second time or third time. And then I tried IVF and spent tens of thousands of pounds and it didn't work. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of I feel like I need to caveat that sort of success story with yeah. the with my uh, other experience. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. And I and I'm, you know, having gone through IVF and it not having worked for me as well first time, it, it it's quite um sort of traumatic experience to have invested so much energy and effort and time and money into something that then just comes to nothing it's just like oh how is that even a thing yeah it's such a bizarre thing really especially on reflection when you look back at it 
but you know I don't regret it it was a it was an interesting journey and you just kind of have to write the money off in a way like it would drive me insane if I started thinking about it like it would really like send me mad so (laughs) I just tried to not think about it you can you can um so the queer parent it's a bit of a a handbook isn't it like a bit a bit of a manual um for anyone in the lgbtq community who's a parent or even who's just thinking about becoming a parent or i guess you know like you guys have described way back when you were like oh i definitely want to become a parent one day but this allows them to i guess look at all their all the options yeah i mean it's it's kind of a two it's it's you know, and Alison, I, I guess from your takeaway from the book as well, in the sense of it's a guide. In one way, it's a guide for people, but it's also we hope through the memoir kind of stories that are in there and the anecdotes that we've included. And it's not just a, a kind of how-to. Obviously, within the book, we cover you know what the education system can be like attacking you know from a from a queer point of view or mental health. We go into or holidays. Um, really varied but what we really hope is that actually and I I said you Alison as well it's like that we feel our straight allies can maybe pick up the book as well and actually learn something and have questions that they were and we've actually had people say to us you answered some of the questions that maybe people were too afraid to ask or didn't know how to ask or didn't want to offend Um, so hopefully it's a kind of mix of guide educational for for anybody who's wanting to learn more about the queer community um and then also a kind of guide for those that are already on the parenting journey um that are, that are going through I would say yeah and I would say it definitely is you know having read it I learned so much um you know even the fact that you use the word queer in the title and throughout it I thought that was a slur I thought that was derogatory so you know even in the first few pages, I learned that actually it's a word that you feel comfortable using and that you want to, I guess, normalise it. Yeah, we do. I think there's some some gay people that really don't feel comfortable with that term. And we did address this in the introduction of the book. Um, for us, it's the most inclusive term. It's also a right mouthful to have to keep saying LGBTQ+, uh, LGBTQIA+, like every second word um queer just sort of rolls off the tongue a bit more but it it has got an expansiveness to it I think as a word that other words such as gay or lesbian don't sort of necessarily Mm. express the nuances or the fluidity of, of one's sexuality yeah it's funny isn't it because you know when you think back to you know, in the 80s, it was like, oh, we're talking about gay people here. And then it was like, okay, lesbians are included. And so we added on like a letter to the acronym each time. Hmm. And actually, that feel it does feel quite clunky and quite, you know. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's better to have an all-encompassing, you know, word that we can all use, I guess. Yeah. And also for us, it was really important because I think when you break down the the letters of the acronym, you're basically putting people again in their kind of labels in their own boxes. But for us, what was really important is the word queer, like Lottie says, it encompasses the the entire spectrum of 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 the community, meaning and that's very much where we wanted this book to come come from and something that you know we talk about learning and education is definitely also something that Lottie and I have learned you know Lottie Lottie's experience as a lesbian mum 
is very different to my experience as a gay dad, yet there are so many similarities within that as well. But I learned so much about, I didn't know anything about IUI or IVF. I had no idea. Both of us really had a limited view of surrogacy. Yeah, I really had a lot of um, preconceptions about adoption as well. So I know that in the book you talk about like myths that you want to bust. What kind of um, misconceptions did you have about adoption? I think for me, yeah, the main one of, of, that I had about adoption was that it was sort of, um, well, firstly, and I, I always feel quite ashamed for having thought these things, but it would be sort of a last resort was something that I considered, that children would be very troubled, that, you know, you, you, you hear lots of horror stories or you kind of just like in the just sort of like ether of like people that have adopted and it hasn't gone well whereas as soon as I you know learned from Stu there's so much joy so much fun so much love great kids you know great kids across the board whether or not they have behavioral difficulties or other issues associated with Mm. their background like that's almost you know that's not the point and I think it was a big learning curve for me to go on um, and I think there's probably other people that that share similar views and, and hopefully would learn in the same way from reading the book. Yeah, yeah. And Stu, is that important to you to kind of set the record straight from your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Because I do feel it is nuanced and there are, you know, every story is not like mine and my husband's story or my children's story. And I think it's safe to say, I think the point about like behavior issues is a key one because I think you speak to social workers and it is, yes, 99% of the children who are in care have been through some kind of trauma. That's why they're in care in the first place. But that doesn't automatically just mean that they have behavioral problems or that they're going to have lots of different issues or things that that are going to be challenging. Um, And even if they do, every child has the potential to have behavior issues or to have a disability or to have something that affects their their growth or their learning um but as parents we we work through that and when you have a biological child or a genetical child it's you don't you don't know that that's going to happen and actually from an adoptive point of view you can go into a situation and be fully aware of the situation and know what you've got to do and know what support you need to get whereas sometimes you do it from you know from a biological point of view you're going in blind and you don't know what's around the corner so it's and so it is about breaking down that myth because I'd hate for because there are so many children out there that need a home I would hate for people to just not think about it purely because of that reason yeah yeah um so obviously traditionally the parenting book market has been squarely aimed at boy meets girl they get married they have 2.4 children that kind of market what's it been like for you becoming parents and not seeing your issues and your challenges being addressed in in books I think it's been frustrating. You know, I remember buying um, What to Expect When You're Expecting when Jenny was pregnant and, you know, having to do a lot of uh, kind of self-editing where it mentions partner or husband or whatever, to the father, to be kind of, you know, reading the book and just like, inserting myself into it. You know, I might as well have gone through it with a pen and, like, crossing it out and writing 
you know, my own pronouns or my my role into the book. So I think it's something you get used to as a, a queer person, but it's it's only when you you see the alternative, it's only when you realise what it what it feels like to be included that you realise what it feels like to be excluded. So I think mm. our our book should hopefully be a real kind of comfort to people who haven't felt that sense of this is for me. From an adoption point of view, I th- the adoption process is very inclusive because I think they have so many queer couples and queer people, um, like solo adopters, who go through the system that they that their materials and the people. Like I remember our first uh, information evening we went to. It was actually a gay couple that got up and talked about their experience of adoption. So I think, from my experience of the adoption process, it's very much. But in terms of like day to day. And even like beyond the what to expect and expecting beyond it's the day to day parenting, which is so, I suppose, heteronormative in its in in its ways that you I mean, for me, particularly as a gay dad, I am very sensitive to, um, you know, the way that it is very heteronormative and it is very mummy focused and it is very female focused um, in terms of the caregiving which, I mean, opens up a whole can of worms as well, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> don't get Stu started, basically, Alison. Well, let's, let's talk about that, though, because, like, you know, gender does come up in the book as well. And, you know, when we talk about yeah. parenthood, so much of the language that we use is so stuck in that old-fashioned kind of mums are the primary mm-hmm. caregiver, which, to be fair, mm-hmm. is the reality for so many women, thanks to the gender pay gap. 100%, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm someone who has like maybe 11, 12 years ago, I started a blog called Not Another Mummy Blog. And my podcast, mm-hmm. Newsflash, is called Not Another Mummy Podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, even 10, whatever years ago, when I was like starting out creating content, I was aiming it at mums because we are the ones mm-hmm. who have babies. Um, but, you know, it feels like we're, we're definitely moving in a different direction where we're becoming more aware of being inclusive and thinking about mm-hmm. different people's situations and scenarios. Um, but it's, it's really important, isn't it, that we that we do try and change our language around this. It is, but I'd also yeah. well, say... I think oh, sorry. <laughs> I think we've both got lots to say on this. I'll just say one quick <laughs> thing, because Stu can then pick up. I think it's contextual. So I'd say to you, Alison, like, I don't think you need to worry about your podcast being called Not Another Mummy Podcast or your book or whatever, because, you know, that that, that experience of motherhood is still so valid and you know your podcast is about your experience of motherhood and within that you're including different voices when it comes to something like a pack of baby wipes that's called mummy's choice like that's a different context and that's what needs to change so I think it's really clear that we're Mm. not saying we need to like erase all mention of mummies and the motherhood experience we just need to think about where we're using that word and when and how it it might make other people feel that aren't mothers. Yeah, and also, well, well, just before Stu jumps in, but also, yeah, I'm I firmly believe that being more inclusive doesn't mean that you have to erase anything. Like I am quite happy if yes. I refer to you as a person rather than a woman or a mum or a parent instead of a mum. Like to me, that does not erase any aspect of my experience, and it makes me feel quite cross when people get angry about 
you know, their experience being erased. It's like, no, we're just including mm. more people. Well, that's why you're a fantastic erased. ally, Alison, and like, you know, we need yeah. more people like you. Just polish my ally halo here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's inclusion, not exclusion. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's exactly that. It's just being additive to language and where appropriate, um, use the word parent instead of maybe mum. Just, I mean, it's a fairly non-offensive word and I feel like it doesn't take anything away from a lot of experience of being a parent. Um, but I feel, and I think this is where it's interesting at the moment, I feel there's a shared kind of, because like you mentioned it about, you know, equal pay in the workplace. I feel we're both on the same side in terms of what we want to achieve because from my point of view, seeing it from the outside as a gay dad and being put into experiences where, you know, I've been sitting in a mummy and baby group or like Lottie says, I'm using nappies that say approved by mums, you know, it's all I feel it's doing is just, again, reaffirming the fact that women are, women can only be in the in in the home and being caregivers and it's almost like it's a cycle it's this thing of we we need equality and women need equality in the workplace and need to not be only seen as oh when you've had a child that's it that's you know that's your career over you now need to be looking but at the same time what's happening is there's all these things pushing them that it is mums that are at home it is mums that doing that and excluding dads from that terminology and I think until we get to that kind of equality in language and the and the approach I think maybe things might change a bit more because it especially from a dad's point of view they won't feel like oh it is the mum's you know oh <laughs> these nappies are approved by mums they're not approved by dads so I'm going to go back out to work are you, do you know what I mean it's, it's also that, connected yeah it's really connected um so yeah I just feel that maybe we could just use parenting more <laughs> basically because it, it it supports mums and it also supports other parents like ourselves who are maybe not the not within the heteronormative um spectrum as it were yeah yeah planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And also linked to the whole gender conversation is the fact that we have trans parents now and the mm-hmm. world must be a pretty terrifying place for them right now. It does feel like we're moving backwards yeah. with trans rights and, yeah. you know, watching what's happening now, it feels very similar to the discrimination faced by gay and lesbian you know, the communities in the 80s. 
but so many people kind of seem blind to that and seem okay with it which is such a weird place to Mm. be I think but I think they were okay with it when it was happening like you say in the 80s it was it was it was just because of the way that the mainstream media or certain very vocal people would be positioning it it felt like you know gays were the enemy and oh good there's a you know there's a there's a plague wiping them out which is literally what was said yeah. in the in the national press but do you not think that, that, that um, there will be people today in 2023 that will perhaps be watching was it channel four did it's a sin that um series mm. and feel horrified and feel like oh my goodness can't believe in the 80s we did like people were behaving like that yeah and then those same people may well be feeling like no we need single sex toilets you know jk rowling you know mm. let's support her and everything she's doing for women's rights i think rights. you're right i think there are there definitely yeah. are there's even you know transphobes within the lgbt community that within the lgb community yeah. um so yeah it's um it's a really complicated issue and i just wish mm. it wasn't so complicated because it doesn't have to be complicated if you just think it's about mm. fairness and treating people with humanity and respect and care and yeah you know it doesn't have to be so intellectualized and um, problematic yeah and you're talking about such a small percentage of people as well like i know it's, it's crazy it, the amount of comments that tra- yeah. like trans related stories get in like the telegraph the times the new york times certainly yeah. you know it proportionally to the population is crazy so if you are someone that's like just reading all these stories and doesn't have a counter narrative you know you're going to take on these ideas you're going to appropriate these like moralistic stances on this issue mm-hmm. because this is sort of what you're being told by your trusted media provider that especially when it's something like the guardian which is ostensibly like a left-wing paper you know you you kind of pick up on these uh, opinions Mm. and take them as your own and like yeah it's it's not a great time to be trans but there's also like a lot of beautiful celebration of transness uh maybe less so in the parenting space because i think it's like the younger generation that kind of coming through that are really you know expressing their trans joy hopefully some of those people will become parents in later life and will get more of that sense of pride and joy in trans parenting mm. when they get older but yeah at the moment it sort of seems to be like the gen z that are really owning that space yeah yeah um so okay so going back to your book um it's an A to Z of the things that you need to know. So let's pull out a few of the letters in your book that you think are worth delving into. Do you guys want to take one each? Um, I would say... I mean, Lottie's got a copy of the book, so she's she's got a gold yeah, star know, for... She's, it right she's prepared. She has. Um, I would say... Go on, you go for one. You've got it. I'll, I'll look at my... I've got a PDF copy. I think some <laughs> of the letters are quite sort of obvious ones, like A is for adoption, D is for donors... But then there's, so for example, P is for pressure and perfectionism. Mm. So this is the idea that as queer people who have children, we feel an extra layer of pressure to be perfect parents because you get the sense that you're being judged by Mm. society, by your family, by, 
you know, the media, everyone is looking out for a reason to sort of call you out and say, well, that's why queer people shouldn't be parents, which is perhaps largely imagined, but nevertheless exists for us. So in this chapter, we talk about that. We give sort of like anecdotes, you know, tells this great anecdote about being so um, paranoid about um, his daughter's hair being plaited perfectly um, when she went to school and then actually <laughs> sorry for stealing your anecdote but if he um, steal away he'd been so fixated on getting her hair perfect that he hadn't noticed that she'd got like a stain on her school uniform shirt <laughs> um, so yeah it's just this sense of being watched being judged you know especially when you're out and about with your kids that you know, I, I think I wonder if maybe it's more so for two dads or for gay dads that you feel a little mm. bit more scrutinized. Well, yeah, because we're in that, you know, two men within a very feminine um, kind of maternal space. And it's trying to, um, I suppose, not assert ourselves, but it, 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 it's that thing of we're quite new to this as a queer community, as, as a gay community. So it's a thing you don't want to you don't want to fuck it up. You don't want to be the one to to get it wrong, and you do feel that pressure on you. And I think that comes down to a lot of different things, particularly like gay shame and the way that we can internalize, you know, how we feel about things and how society looks at us. Which again, I think is quite triggering at the moment with the trans community and the way that they are, you know, being vilified because it it goes again because we when you see yourself as part of that community, obviously I'm not trans, but the way that pe- trans people are being attacked almost feels like an attack on the whole queer community. Um, yeah, I've gone on a massive tangent there from the original <laughs> what we were talking about about doing my daughter's hair, but I was at a festival on Saturday and my daughter was going to have her um, face painted and her hair was all over the place. So I kind of like grabbed it without a brush and started doing like trying to do a really tight French plait. So it would just be like all up off of her face, have her face paint. And there were all these, <laughs> there were these mums all looking at me and then one came up and she was like, oh, can you teach my husband how to do that? And, blah, blah, blah. and I was just like, suddenly I've just felt really, but I felt a bit on show. Yeah. I felt like I was standing in a queue doing my daughter's hair. Whereas if that was a mum doing her daughter's hair in the queue, I don't think anyone would bat an eyelid. Um, do you think that you feel the flip side of that? Do you ever get like loads of praise from other like from mums who are like oh you're so good being at the park at like yes. 8am on a Sunday morning yeah. with your kids old ladies particularly <laughs> not to be ageist <laughs> but older the older generation oh well done I'm like well done for what I'm literally just out with my you're kids parenting. and I'm just parenting but I think it's that thing of men get praised for parenting just because that people are not used to them seeing parenting but I find it really odd and just find it really uncomfortable if anyone praises me because I know that they're not praising you know my friend you know my mum friend from the school who's doing exactly the same um you know it's it, it can be quite uncomfortable and the same with adoption as well we get praised a lot for adoption it's almost like people see us saints which we're not we're just it was the way we chose we're selfish we wanted to be parents it was that's the way we chose to start our family and yet for some reason it's like 
we've been giving a sainthood when we're you know when somebody finds out that we've adopted it's like oh well done oh my god it's so good I I'm could so, do with know, some of that praise maybe just... we need to normalize like <laughs> praising parents more than stop yes. praising dads maybe we need yeah. to all just like you know when we see anyone any parent like struggling yes. with a kid on a bus or whatever just I love be like, that. well done you like good job keep well doing done. you or like yeah. in the park like looks like you're giving your kid a great day well done like let's start doing that yeah. let's start a campaign I like that. Did you want me to pick a chapter? <laughs> if you can, if you can. Have you got one? Yeah, I can. I mean, I was going to say education, actually, because it was a chapter we quite enjoyed doing in the book. So E is for education. And that is about the education system and about, I think, um, it kind of kicks off with that idea of, I think a lot of gay people have had in their head of like, oh, will my children be bullied at school for me have for for having two dads and 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 how you approach that and how you approach that sense of, you know, school and the school gates, which I think is a political minefield for any parent, right? Like regardless of, you know, whether you're queer or not. And but I think for the reasons we kind of talked about just before, I think it adds a whole new layer when you're walking into the school as a, as a gay parent and, and not quite knowing because I think when you're, you, you one would normally surround themselves with people who they know and love and respect them. I think when you go into a school, it's a really unique environment, isn't it? Where you've got 30 other people potentially who you don't know are complete strangers you don't know and you're going to be stuck with for the next six or seven years of your life yes. right? depending on how many kids you've got even like the next like 12 years of your life and they could have like really problematic views and opinions and yeah, yeah you can't do anything about that and you that. don't know that and it's not like you immediately I mean some people do eventually but in terms of like going to the pub or going out socializing with that year group of the, all the parents involved but unless you were in that situation where you're having a kind of blah at the bar or something or a debate, you're not going to know what their views are either really straight away. So it's a very, it can be very intimidating experience. Um, And then we also talk in that chapter as well about how the use of, you know, how education has changed. You know, we had Lottie and I, we grew up in the, in the era of section 28 which was the the actual law that Margaret Thatcher passed, which meant that homosexuality could not be discussed in school at all, um, which was really damaging for a huge amount of, um, of, of, of queer people growing up through that time. And now we've got the relationship and sex education policies, which is about relationships, which I really love how they've kind of refigured it because, and now that gay and queer families can be talked about in school and we're able Lottie's written a beautiful um children's picture book called My Magic Family before that would never be allowed to be put into a primary school now that book is very is very much out there in primary schools and I think there's a misconception as well out there that there's these books it's like just let children be children just let them you know you know, Lottie's book is not a book on sex. It's literally just a book that's got loads of different families in it. Um, and they're all fantastical, magical creatures. And there's, you know, there's there's straight couples in there. There's single parents in there. There's queer parents in there. But it's not in a, in a way that I think people get their, let's just say, knickers in a twist about. 
But it allows my children to be at school and see their family reflected back. Yeah, and also, like, you, you will have children in primary school who are thinking about their own sexuality and think, mm. mm, this, I, don't, I don't really fancy girls or I don't really fancy boys or whatever yeah. it is. And so it's giving them a space to explore their own feelings and get it get their thoughts into order. Well, it's growing up, it's them being able to feel normal about themselves and not feel a sense of shame that they're different. It's not about suddenly telling them that, yes, you are a lesbian and you will like women. That's not what the, the policy is doing. It's just letting them... You're basically recruiting people, Lottie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's doing a recruitment <laughs> But it's not about... It's just it's about them just being able to discover them because we as we any any person that grows up they see themselves reflected back in society and is able then to work out their identity and work out who they are and I think that's why it's so so important and I think one thing and what we talk about in the education chapter in the book that I think really allies can do is like you know challenge your school about what they've got in the library you know what books they've got what because I think from the emotional intelligence of any child to know to see to see the world around them reflected because I'm not just talking about queerness here I'm talking about disability and race and like the stats about the amount of kids books that don't feature those characters yet a child in school is going to be faced with you know all different types of people in their life um and so it's about giving them the tools to be able to to have that emotional intelligence when it comes to growing up in the society we grow in so i would say for allies to go into the library challenge what's in there and support you know these these stories and these books that are different Yeah, because often it falls to you as the queer parent to be the one that's having to mm. sort of fly the flag and have the conversations with the school and ask what they're doing for pride. Like, it would be so amazing if, you know, on your class WhatsApp group, someone that was not a queer parent just said, hey, anyone know what the school's doing for pride this year? You know, like to not that to not have to come from me yeah. would be yeah. so amazing. Like, I would mm. just feel so relieved and like... I would actually be quite amazed if that ever happened and it would be such a brilliant thing to do. So I think for anyone listening that is like, well, how can I be a better ally? How can I support queer parents? That is really something you can do. You can sort of like take the burden off them. So I had, I actually Mm. had something with um, a parent in my daughter's class where I was, I was almost nervous about telling them about my book, The Queer Parent, because our book, sorry, Stu, The Cuba Queer Parent, because I didn't want it to look like I was like pushing an agenda. I didn't want it to look like I was showing off. I was slightly worried, you know, if people didn't have as progressive views as I would hope, like I was a bit worried about it. Though this other parent that I'd become friendly with was like, look, let me send the, no, I'll send the message I'll send the message to the uh the school um you know like parent teacher association and I'll put it on Facebook which was such a kind thing for her to do because she was supporting me as a friend but she was also like alleviating my burden of being the queer person like pushing the agenda and she was doing it for me which was really I was very grateful for that yeah 
Mm. that's important isn't it i think from my point of view like I'm, i quite often am that person who's on the whatsapp group or whatever it is going hey guys we should be thinking about this and i think that i've kind of almost started drawing back a little bit from doing that which isn't ideal but i feel like mm. i i kind of almost came up against in my head possibly a bit of a reaction of like oh here comes allison with her woke views again yeah, yeah. and then people start just switching off and so i've started almost trying to like pick my moments a bit more rather than just being constantly that person who's like bombarding people with we should be thinking about this and that's not right and but I think that's so great you are like that and I think it's a shame Mm -hmm. that you felt like you need to temper that side of you um because it's the whole it's the way that woke has been weaponized right in the sense that yeah like honestly like what is that about I just don't get I love like that Kathy Burke quote that she gave where oh, she yeah, was just like so I'm, I'm proud to be woke because woke is about standing up for injustice yeah. and it's like if you're you know if you're happy just to let it go part like go by it's just honestly I just find it really really absurd yeah I also think that arguably that if, if the worst thing that can happen to me is people thinking oh here comes Alison you know here comes the woke police then pfft, that's not that's nothing right I can I can deal with I that think, I think yeah. you're right yeah but um hands up one of the biggest things I learned reading your book was right at the end because I totally thought that the Z in from gay to Z was you guys being a bit American and like appealing oh, to okay. an international <laughs> market tell us what Z means well I don't think you're alone in that and actually it's a bit of yeah <laughs> I don't think many people know that Z is actually a gender neutral pronoun um, I don't personally know anyone that uses it, but <clears throat> I know on social media that it is genuinely a thing and people use it instead of he, him, she, her, they, them. Zizer is, uh, is a pronoun, which is, you know, like it sounds kind of bonkers, but it's also like great and wonderful and like part of our community that people which is yeah which is yeah why we wanted to include it in the title as well because I think it sums up the book as well it sums up that you know Lottie and I'd never heard of the pronoun z really before we started researching and looking into things and therefore we included it in the title because that's what the book is all about it's about us learning as much as it is about anything else and we always just hope that then the reader whether they're gay straight whatever can come on that journey with us and learn about different genders, different ways, learning about the queer spectrum, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, well, Stu and Lottie, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so fab to talk to you. Um, tell us where we can find you online and also where we can grab your book. You can grab our book in most Waterstones and most bookshops. And if they don't have it, they should have it. So you should go up to the counter and order one in so they um, know that people want it. Otherwise, it is on Amazon. Um, You can find us on Instagram at From Gay to Z. From Gay to Z. Yeah, at From Gay to Z. Um, And our podcast, uh, From Gay to Z, is available wherever you get your podcasts. Fantastic. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Alison. It was so lovely. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.